um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to see the new Top Gun movie. And uh, I was a teenager when the original film came out. So I was uber enthusiastic about this and it didn't let me down. Uh, I loved it. Um, uh, good storyline, well acted. But for me, it's all about the planes, right? Uh, it's all about the planes. And I'm one of those guys that you know, I watch the film and, and I just wish I was a Top Gun pilot. Right? I'm just going to be honest. And, you know, I watch it and I imagine myself in the cockpit with my face going like this and that with the G-forces. and uh, You know, I imagine that. Um, but I know you're laughing because the reality is, uh, and I'm, I'm big enough to admit this, that if I were in Top Gun, I'm probably not the heroic fighter pilot. Um, I'm probably the nerdy guy in the control tower looking at a screen telling someone what's about to happen. Um, or I'm probably one of those guys on the flight deck. You know, you, you always see them in the movie, they've got the, the high-vis jackets on and those really big earmuffs, and they're always going like this <laughs> at the planes. You know, and, I, and I'm, I'm probably that guy. Like, I, I'm being honest, you know, I, in my mind, I, I, I wish I was the hero. You know, I wish I was the fighter pilot, the hero. But the reality is, I'm just the extra in the story. You know, I'm the guy that you see once, my name doesn't even appear in the credits. That's just the reality of what it is. I think we're all a little bit like that, aren't we? There's a part of us that, you know, we imagine ourselves as the grand hero in the story of life. And in reality, we're just a part of the story. You know, we're just, we're just an extra in the story of life. And I want to wonder with you this morning, whether that's what Ananias was thinking when he had his dream. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. While you're going there, I want to set the scene for you. And Acts chapter 9 happens around about five years, plus or minus a couple of years, around about five years after the resurrection of Jesus. The first church is still very small, still just a handful of churches in a few cities and towns. The church is small, but it is growing, and it is growing rapidly. News of the resurrection is spreading. As some of the early uh, disciples and followers of Jesus, some, some of the people who were there and saw him rise, are now starting to move around and share their stories. They're starting to get courageous enough to move to another town or another city and to tell people about Jesus there. And miracles are happening. And people are believing. And as the church is growing, so is opposition to the church. Because the Jewish religious hierarchy are very keen to stop this story spreading. They're very keen to squash this truth. And so they've appointed uh, these people, that are like agents, they've appointed these agents to go from town to town and to go across the city and to put a stop to this story spreading. And one of their, one of their key men, one of their best agents, is a guy by the name of Saul. He's young, he's passionate, he's determined, and he's ruthless. And his job is to take uh, a mission from the leaders in Jerusalem They'll hear that, there's, that there might be a little church, there might be a group of believers over there or in this city. Can you go, go there and find them, hunt them out and arrest them and make them stop? And so one of these 
journeys. Paul's on his way from Jerusalem to headquarters. He's on his way uh, to the small town, to the city of Damascus. And he has a supernatural experience of Jesus. We don't know exactly what he saw or what he heard, whether it was sort of a vision or whether Jesus actually appeared in bodily form. We're not exactly sure. But whatever happened, whatever happened on that road, was so clear to Saul. It was so absolutely crystal clear that in a moment, in one day, Saul went from being an agent who was given to putting a stop to the church to becoming a part of the church just like that. He went from hunting Christians to being a Christian in one day, in just a moment. So powerful was his experience of Jesus on that road. And in fact, his experience was so powerful, whatever happened, blinding light, whatever happened, was so powerful that he was actually blinded by the experience. And so the people who were travelling with him, because he's got a little posse with him, the people who were travelling with him uh, lead him by the hand, he's blind, and they lead him into Damascus, where he stays. That's the backstory. But Ananias knew nothing about that story. Let's pick up his story in verse 10, if you're there. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. I'll read it. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision or in a dream and said, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Gives him an address. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him, excuse me, and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's doing, he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. Go, because this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went. Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may again, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Ananias was one of those early Christians. We don't know how he became a Christian. We don't know if he was in Jerusalem uh, prior to Jesus' uh, crucifixion. In other words, whether he actually saw Jesus alive and heard him teach. We don't know if he was there at the crucifixion, if he was one of the crowd and saw Jesus die. We don't know if he was there in the days after and he saw him risen again and heard him teach and preach in those 40 days after he rose. 
Well, we don't know if he, if he knew none of that, but if he heard the story secondhand from one of those people who were there. But we know that in the very early church, the very first group of Christians in Damascus, that Ananias was one of those people. God comes to him in a dream or in a vision, and he tells him to go and find Saul. He's really specific, gives him the exact address. Says, go here and find Saul. Now, imagine that you're Ananias. Because you've heard about this guy Saul. You've heard from Christians in other towns and in other cities. You've heard what happens when Saul shows up. Bad things happen to people like Ananias when Saul shows up. Saul has the authority to arrest and to jail and to even have people like Ananias killed. So when you hear Saul's coming to town, you hide. You go to ground, you try and blend in with the crowd. You go underground until he's done whatever he wants to do. Hopefully he doesn't find you, he leaves, and then you can kind of take a breath and sort of stick your head up again. That's Ananias until God speaks to him, until the Lord speaks to him and says, go and find Saul. The very person that you're trying to avoid and God says, actually go and deliberately find them. And Ananias replies, probably a little bit like most of us would apply, which is the Bible version of, Lord, are you nuts? Right? <laughs> Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But God responds in this vision. There's some sort of conversation that happens between the Lord and Ananias. And God responds to him and said, Go, go, this man is my chosen instrument to reclaim my name to the Gentiles. And verse 17 says, Then Ananias went. Wow. Honestly, it's, it, it's easy to just read over that like it's a fact in the story. But that is a wow moment. Isn't it? Then Ananias went. Went straight into a situation that, that could possibly literally mean the end of his life. Then Ananias went. And he finds Saul at the exact house, just like the Lord told him in a vision. Saul doesn't arrest him. Saul welcomes him in. Ananias prays for him. And then in another miracle, Saul receives his sight and says, like scales fall from his eyes, and immediately he can see again. And in that moment, Ananias must have felt like a hero. That was his top gun fighter pilot moment. Right? He's thinking, wow, look what God's done through me. People are going to be talking about this for ages. People are going to remember the name Ananias. What a guy. Except that his name never appears in the story again. 
It turns out that Ananias is not the hero of this story. It turns out that he's not the fighter pilot, the hero, that he's the guy on the flight deck doing this with the big earmuffs on. He's the guy that launches the pilot, that launches the hero, and it turns out that Saul is the key figure in this story. It's Saul that everyone's going to be talking about. He's going to get his name changed to Paul, and it's him that's going to become famous in history. And here we are thousands of years later, everyone knows someone called Paul, don't they? No one names their kids Ananias, right? <laughs> and yet here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear. Without Ananias, there is no Paul. Right? Without Ananias, Paul is a blind man stuck in a house on Straight Street in Damascus. And the reality for some of us is that we hear stories of miracles, of great faith, of amazing things. We read about some of these heroes in the Bible. You see preachers on YouTube talking to thousands of people. You hear stories of social entrepreneurs and change agents who in the name of in the name of Jesus are, are setting up organizations and doing things across the world that are touching millions of people. And it's easy to ask God, why aren't you doing that through me? Why aren't I seeing those kind of miracles and that kind of wonder? Why doesn't that stuff happen to me? What's wrong with me? I thought I was going to be one of those guys that would change the world. I thought I was going to be the hero of this story. But instead, I'm just working in my job, trying to keep my house clean and my family organised. I guess God didn't want me to change the world after all, okay? <coughs> And if you've ever thought like that, if you've ever felt like that, I have one clear message for you today. God will use you. God will use you to help change history. If you seek him, if you listen to him, if you have the courage to obey him, God will use you. And maybe you will be a Paul. Maybe you will be the hero of the story. Maybe you will be the, the, the Top Gun fighter pilot in the story of your life. Maybe you will be the one who will speak to millions. Maybe you will be the one who will lead something or change something in a way that will, will touch millions. But maybe you'll be Ananias. Maybe you'll be the supporting actor. The guy with the earmuffs doing this in the movie. Maybe you'll be someone who supports someone else. Maybe you'll be part of a, a small local church like this one. Maybe you'll never be famous in that sense. Maybe people will never name their children after you. But I'm here to tell you that every one of you, that every one of us can be used by God to change history.
Because we worship an extraordinary God who's in the habit of taking ordinary people, Ananias-type people, and doing extraordinary things through them when they are available and obedient to him. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality of both this story in the Bible and the reality of our lives is that, you know what, actually, none of us are the heroes. None of us are the hero of this story. Not you, not me, not the preacher who speaks to thousands, not the social entrepreneur who's changing the world. Not even Paul is the hero of this story. There's only one hero of the story of faith, and you know who that is? That is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the only hero in this story. We are all guys on the flight deck in the earmuffs doing this and the person that we are launching as the hero of the story is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the hero of this story. We are all supporting actors in this story. We are all extras in the cast here to make Jesus look good and to hold him up before a world and to say this is the hero of the story. Paul, the guy who we thought was the hero in the Paul and Ananias story, Paul knew this. This is what Paul wrote about his own life. Years after that, Paul would write this. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, may light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul says, don't get confused. We're not here to preach ourselves. We're not here to make ourselves look good and to put ourselves on centre stage. We're here to preach. We're here to talk about Jesus and to put him on centre stage. We're just servants. He's the hero. He's the centre of this story. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus, as the hero of this story... He is looking for a supporting cast. He is looking for men and women and boys and girls, young and old, who will join him, who will be a part of his story, who will be a part of his mission. Paul describes himself like an ordinary old clay pot, which in Paul's time was the most ordinary of things. It would be like us saying, I'm an old piece of Tupperware. He says, there's nothing fancy on the outside. There's nothing to look at in me. But there's a treasure on the inside of me. He describes the treasure. He says, uh, let light shine out of darkness. For God, who let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. God is looking for people who will be a part of his story. He's looking for supporting actors in this life 
changing, world-changing story of which he is the key actor, of which he is the hero and the movie star in this story. And I want to suggest to you that, as with Ananias, God is looking for just two things in people that he wants to cast in this story with him. He's looking for people who are available and people who are obedient. God's looking for people who are available. God's looking for people who are willing to step away from their own lives and to join him in his life. And the truth is, let's be honest with ourselves, friends, the truth is that many of us are so wrapped up in our own lives, aren't we? We're so wrapped up in our own lives that we are unavailable to God. My work is so busy. My family takes up so much of my time. I just need some me time. I just need to get, I've just got a few things I just need to get right in my life. And then I'll be ready to go. Then I'll be ready to say yes. Jesus is looking for people who will put him first. He said it to his disciples like this when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. He's looking for people who will put him and his kingdom first. Jesus explained it this way. He told a story. He said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those he'd been invited. Sent them out to say, today's the day, come on. Come now, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. Just bought a new car. And I'm on my way to try it out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married. Can't come. Family's pretty poor. The servant came back and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry. Became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. You jump down a few verses. This is Luke chapter 14. You jump down a few verses to verse 24. Story finishes with Jesus saying, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. They missed out. They're unavailable. God is looking for people who are available. He's looking for people who will say yes to his invitation to come. 700 years before Ananias, God showed up to another man called Isaiah. Showed up to him in a dream or in a vision. And, and, and uh, Isaiah famously said these words when God appeared to him in the night. Isaiah 6.8. Isaiah hears a voice from God and he just says these words. Here I am, send me. You know it, you're mouthing at the back row. Here I am, send me. God is looking for people who are available and God is looking for people who are obedient. God is looking for people who will say yes before they hear the details of the story or the mission. Whatever the question is, the answer is yes. God is looking for people who are obedient. Ananias had every reason in the world to say no, but he said yes. Why? Because God asked him to. And Ananias said yes, and Paul said yes, and Peter said yes, 
Everyone who's ever been used by God to do anything at some point has had to say yes. God is looking for people who will say yes. God is looking for people who are available and God is looking for people who are obedient. God's looking for people who will join his story. God's looking for people who will change the world with him. God's looking for people in your school. God's looking for people in your workplace. God's looking for people in your street, in your neighbourhood. God's looking for people in the club that you play netball at. God's looking for people in the place where you shop. God's looking for people amongst your circle of friends. And the question is simply, have you got what it takes? Have you got what it... Because everyone can be used by God if you are available and if you are obedient. The question is, will you give God first priority in your life and make yourself available to Him? Will you say yes to whatever he calls you to and be obedient to it? Because if you will say yes to those two things, then I want to tell you, you are in for the ride of your life. Most of us will never be heroes in the way that our world describes heroes. Most of us will never be the fighter pilot in the jet saving the day. That's just the reality of life. Most of us will be in the control tower, on the flight deck, in this good evening. That's just the truth. That's just the way life works, isn't it, friends? But if you will say yes to Jesus, if you will say yes to joining him I guarantee you, I guarantee you, He will use you. I guarantee you, He will use you to change history. He will use you to be a part of what He's doing to change history. And you will become part of the greatest story. You will become part of the greatest mission, the greatest thing that has happened and is happening in the history of become part of God's mission, become part of God's story, you become, become part of bringing lost people back to, into a world. You become part of bringing lost people back into relationship with Jesus. Bringing freedom where there is captivity. Bringing love where there is hate. Bringing hope where there is hopelessness. Light where there is darkness, life, where there is death. Because it's His light shining in your heart, Paul says. So the question this morning is simply, do you want to be a part of changing history? Do you want to be a history maker? Because Jesus is calling you. 